Chapter Thirteen of Betty Wales Freshman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Betty Wales Freshman by Margaret Ward. Chapter Thirteen, Saint Valentine's Assistance. If Eleanor had taken Kate's advice and indulged in a little calm reflection, she would have realized how absolutely reasonless was her anger against Betty Wales. Betty had been told of the official objections which made it necessary for Eleanor to be withdrawn from the debate. Her action, then, had been wholly proper and perfectly friendly, but Eleanor was in no mood for reflection. A wild burst of passion held her firmly in its grasp. She hated everybody and everything in Harding, the faculty who had made such a commotion about two little low grades, for Eleanor had come surprisingly near to clearing her record at mid-years, Jean, who had stupidly brought all this extra annoyance upon her, the class, who were glad to get rid of her, betty who yes jean had been right about one thing betty who had taken advantage of a friend's misfortune to curry favor for herself they were all leagued against her but here the watson pride suddenly asserted itself they should never know that she cared never guess that they had hurt her she deliberately selected the most becoming of her new evening gowns and in an incredibly short time swept down to dinner radiantly beautiful in the creamy lace dress and outwardly at least in her sunniest most charming mood she insisted that the table should admire her dress and the pearl pendant which her aunt had just sent her i'm wearing it you see to celebrate my return to the freedom of private life she rattled on glibly i understand you've found a genius to take my place i'm delighted that we have one in the class it's so convenient who of you are going to the burton house dance tonight? so she led the talk from point to point and from hand to hand. She bantered Mary, deferred to Helen and the riches, appealed in comradely fashion to Catherine and Rachel. Betty alone she utterly, though quite unostentatiously, ignored. And Betty, too much hurt to make any effort, stood aside and tried to solve the riddle of Eleanor's latest caprice. On the way upstairs, Eleanor spoke to her for the first time. She went up just ahead of her, and at the top of the flight she turned and waited. "'I understand that you quite ran the class today,' she said with a flashing smile. "'The girls tell me that you're a born orator, as good in your way as the genius in hers.' Betty rallied herself for one last effort. "'Don't make fun of me, Eleanor. Please let me come in and tell you about it. You don't understand.' "'Possibly not,' said Eleanor coldly. "'But I'm going out now.' "'Just for a moment?' "'But I have to start at once. I'm late already.' "'Oh, very well,' said Betty, and turned away to join Mary and Roberta. Eleanor's mind always worked with lightning rapidity, and while she dressed she had gone over the whole situation and decided exactly how she would meet it, and in the weeks that followed she kept rigidly to the course she had marked out for herself. Changing only one detail, at first she had intended to have nothing more to do with Jean, but she saw that a sudden breaking off of their friendship would be remarked upon and wondered at, so she compromised by treating Jean exactly as usual, but seeing her as little as possible. This made it necessary to refuse many of her invitations to college affairs, for wherever she went Jean was likely to go. So she spent much of her leisure time away from Harding. She went to Winstead a great deal, and often ran down to Boston or New York for Sunday, declaring that the trips meant nothing to a Westerner used to the magnificent distances of the plains. Naturally, she grew more and more out of touch with the college life, more and more scornful of the girls who could be content with the narrow, humdrum routine at Harding. But she concealed her scorn perfectly, 
and she no longer neglected her work. She attended her classes regularly and managed with a modicum of preparation to recite far better than the average student. Furthermore, her work was now scrupulously honest, and she was sensitively alert to the slightest imputation of untruthfulness. She offered no specious explanations for her withdrawal from the debate, and when Mary Brooks innocently inquired, "'What little yarn?' she told the registrar that she could get away so often. Eleanor fixed her with an unpleasantly penetrative stare, and answered with all her old-time hauteur that she did not tell yarns. "'I have a note from my father. So long as I do my work and go to all my classes, they really can't object to my spending my Sundays as he wishes.' Betty observed all these changes without being in the least able to reconcile them with Eleanor's new attitude toward herself. Unlike the friendship with Jean, Eleanor's intercourse with her had been inconspicuous, confined mostly to the Chapin house itself. Even the girls there, because Eleanor had stood so aloof from them, had seen little of it, so Eleanor was free to break it off without thinking of public opinion, and she did so ruthlessly. From the day of the class meeting she spoke to Betty only when she must, or— if no one was by, when some taunting remark occurred to her. At first Betty tried her best to think how she could have offended, but she could not discuss the subject with anyone else, and endless consideration and rejection of hypothesis was fruitless. So, after Eleanor had twice refused her an interview that would have settled the matter, she sensibly gave it up. Eleanor would perhaps come round in some time. Meanwhile it was best to let her alone. But Betty felt that she was having more than her share of trouble, Helen was quite as trying in her way as Eleanor in hers. She had entirely lost her cheerful air, and seemed to have grown utterly discouraged with life. "'And no wonder, for she studies every minute,' Betty told Rachel and Catherine. "'I think she feels hurt because the girls don't get to like her better. But how can they when she doesn't give them any chance?' "'She's awfully touchy lately,' added Catherine. "'Poor little thing,' said Rachel." Then the three plunged into an animated discussion of basketball, and Rachel and Catherine, who were on a sort of provisional team that included most of the best freshman players and arrogated to itself the name of the Stars, showed Betty in strictest confidence the new crossplay that T. Reed had invented. T. Reed seemed to be the basketball genius of the freshman class. She was the only girl who was perfectly sure to begin on the regular team. It is one of the fine things about college that no matter who of your friends are temporarily lost to you, there is always somebody else to fall back upon, and some new interest to take the place of one that flags. Betty had noticed this and been amused by it early in her course. Sometimes, as she said to Miss Ferris in one of her many long talks with that lady, things change so fast that you really begin to wonder if you can be the same person you were last week. Besides the interclass basketball game— there was the Hilton House play to talk about and look forward to, and the rally, and nearer still, St. Valentine's Day. It was a long time, to be sure, since Betty had been much excited over the last-named festival. In her experience, only children exchanged valentines, but at Harding it seemed to be different. While the day was still several weeks off, she had received three invitations to valentine parties. She consulted Mary Brooks and found that this was not at all unusual. All the campus houses give them— mary explained and the big ones outside just as they do for halloween they have valentine boxes you know and sometimes fancy dress balls and there the matter would have dropped if mary had not spent all her monthly allowance three full weeks before she was supposed to have any more poverty was mary's chronic state not that dr brooks's checks were small but his daughter's spending capacity was infinite 
"'You wait till you're a prominent sophomore,' she said when Catherine laughed at her, "'and all your friends are making societies, and you just have to provide violets and suppers, in hopes that they'll do as much for you later on. The whole trouble is that father wants me to be on an allowance, instead of writing home for money when I'm out. No matter how much I say I need, it never lasts out the month. Why don't you tutor?' suggested Rachel, who got along easily on a third of what Mary spent. "'I hope to next year.' "'A tutor?' repeated Mary, with a reminiscent chuckle. "'I tried to tutor my cousin this fall in algebra, and the poor thing flunked much worse than before. But anyway, the faculty wouldn't give me regular tutoring. "'I look too well to do. Ah, how deceitful are appearances!' sighed Mary, opening her pocket-book, where five copper pennies rattled about forlornly. But the very next day she dashed into Betty's room, proclaiming loudly, "'I have an idea, and I want you to help me, Betty Wales. You can draw, and I'll cut them out, and drum up customers, and I guess I can write the verses. We ought to make our ad tonight.' "'Our what?' inquired Betty in an absolutely mystified tone. Then Mary explained that she proposed to sell valentines. "'Lots of the girls who can't draw by theirs. Not downtown, you know. We don't give that kind here.' A cunning little handmaid, ones with pen and ink drawings and original verses. Haven't you noticed the signs on the for sale bulletin? Betty had not even seen that bulletin board since she and Helen had hunted second-hand screens early in the fall, but the plan sounded very attractive. It would fill up her spare hours and keep her from worrying over Eleanor and getting cross at Helen, so she was very willing to help if Mary honestly thought she could draw well enough. Goodness, yes said Mary, rushing off to borrow Roberta's watercolor paper and Catherine's rhyming dictionary. So the partnership was formed. A huge red heart, covered with hastily decorated samples, was stuck up on the for-sale bulletin in the gymnasium basement. And, as Betty's cupids were really very charming, and her Christie heads quite as good as the average copy, names began to appear in profusion on the order sheet. Mary had written two sample verses with comparative ease, and in the first flush of confidence she had boldly printed on the sign, Rhymed grinds for special persons furnished at reasonable rates. But later, when everybody seemed to want that kind, even the valuable aid of the rhyming dictionary did not disprove the adage that poets are born, not made. "'I can't. I just can't do them,' wailed Mary finally. "'Jokes simply will not go into rhyme. What shall we do?' "'Get to Roberta. She writes beautifully. And Catherine.' "'She told me that she'd like to help,' suggested Betty, without looking up from the chubby Cupid she was fashioning. So Catherine and Roberta were duly approached, and Catherine was added to the firm. Roberta at first said she couldn't, but finally, after exacting strict pledges of secrecy, she produced half a dozen dainty little lyrics, bidding Mary use them if she wished. They were nothing, but no amount of persuasion would induce her to do any more. However, Catherine's genius was nothing if not profuse, and she preferred to do grinds, so Mary could devote herself to sentimental effusions, which, so she declared, did not have to have any special point, and so were within her powers, and to the business end of the project. This, in her view, consisted in perching on a centrally located window seat in the main building, in the intervals between classes and soliciting orders from all passers-by, to the consequent crowding of the narrow halls and the great annoyance of the serious-minded who wished to reach their recitations promptly but from her point of view she was strikingly successful i tell you i never appreciated how easy it is to make money if you only set about it in the right way she announced proudly one day at luncheon 
by the way betty would you run down after jim to get our old order sheet and put up a new one i have a special topic in psychology to-morrow and if professor hinsdale really thinks i'm clever i don't want to undeceive him too suddenly betty promised but after jim rachel asked her to stay and play basketball with the stars in the place of an absent member naturally she forgot everything else and it was nearly six o'clock when sauntering home from an impromptu tea-drinking at the belden house she remembered the order sheet it was very dusky in the basement betty plunging down the steps that led directly into the small room where the bulletin board was almost knocked down a girl who was curled up on the bottom step of the flight goodness did i hurt you she said a trifle exasperated that any one should want to sit alone in the damp darkness of the basement there was no answer and betty whose eyes were growing accustomed to the dim light observed with consternation that her companion was doing her best to stop crying as has already been remarked betty hated tears as a kitten hates rain personally she never cried without first locking her door and she could imagine nothing so humiliating as to be caught unmistakably weeping by a stranger so she turned aside swiftly peered about in the shadows for the big red heart changed the order sheet and was wondering whether she would better hurry out past the girl or wait for her to recover her composure and depart when the girl took the situation out of her hands by rising and saying in cheery tones good evening miss wells are you going my way why it's emily i i mean miss davis cried betty yes it's emily davis in the blues the more shame to her when she ought to be at home getting supper this minute wait just a second please miss davis went over to the signs jerked one down and picking up her books from the bottom step announced without the faintest trace of embarrassment now i am ready but are you sure you want me inquired betty timidly bless you yes said miss davis i've wanted to know you ever so long i'm sorry you caught me being a goose though and i'm sorry you felt like crying said betty shyly why miss davis I should want to laugh all the time if I'd done what you did the other day. I should be so proud. Miss Davis smiled happily down at her small companion. I was proud, she said simply. I only hope I can do as well week after next. But Miss Wales, that was the gem of college life. There's the bread and butter, too, you know. And sometimes that's a lot harder to earn than the jam. Do you mean began betty and stopped not wanting to risk hurting miss davis's feelings yes i mean that i am working my way through i have a scholarship but there's still my board and clothes and books and you do it all miss davis nodded my cousin sends me some clothes how do you do it please tutor sort papers and make typewritten copies of things for the faculty put on dress braids that's how i met the bees men's stockings and wait on the table off and on when someone's maid leaves suddenly we thought it would be cheaper and pleasanter to board ourselves and earn our money in different ways than to take our board in exchange for regular table waiting but i don't know the other way is surer you mean you don't find work enough miss davis nodded it takes a good deal she said apologetically and there isn't much tutoring that freshmen can do after this year it will be easier dear me gasped betty don't you get any any help from home well they haven't been able to send any yet but they hope to later said miss davis brightly 
and does it pay when you have to work so hard for it oh yes answered miss davis promptly all three of us are sure that it pays three of you live together yes of course there are ever so many others in the college and i'm sure all of them would say the same thing and i hope i'm not being rude but do girls do you advertise things down on that bulletin board i don't know much about it i never was there but once till i went to-day on on an errand for a friend betty concluded awkwardly perhaps she had been an interloper perhaps that bulletin board had not been meant for girls like her miss davis evidently assumed that she had been to leave an order you ought to buy more she said laughingly but you want to know what i was there for don't you why yes we do make a good deal off that bulletin board one of the girls paints a little and she advertises picture frames yale and harvard and pennsylvania ones you know i sell blueprints a senior lends me her films she has a lot of the faculty and the campus and they go pretty well we use the money we make from those things for little extra ribbons and notebooks and desserts for sunday we hope to make quite a bit on valentines valentines repeated betty sharply yes but a good many others thought of it too and we didn't get any orders not one ours weren't so extra pretty and it was foolish of me to be so disappointed but we'd worked hard getting ready and we did want a little more money so much they had reached betty's door by this time and miss davis hurried on saying it was her turn to get supper and begging betty to come and see them for we're very cosy i assure you you mustn't think we have a horrid time just because you know why betty went straight to mary's room which since she had no roommate to object to disorder had been the chief seat of the valentine industry you're a nice one cried katherine staying off like this when to-day is the eleventh many orders inquired mary betty sat down on mary's couch ruthlessly sweeping aside a mass of half-finished valentines to make room girls this has got to stop she announced abruptly mary dropped her scissors and katherine shut the rhyming dictionary with a bang what's the trouble they asked in chorus then betty told her story suppressing only emily's name and mentioning all the details that had made up the point and pathos of it and just think she said at last she's a girl you'd both be proud to know and she works like that and we stepped in and took away a chance of of ribbons and notebooks and dessert for sunday maybe not perhaps hers were so homely they wouldn't have sold anyway suggested katherine with an attempt at jocoseness don't please said betty wearily mary came and sat down beside her on the couch well what's to be done about it now she asked soberly i don't know we can't give them orders because she took her sign down i thought perhaps how much have we made fifteen dollars easily all right we'll send it to them of course chimed in katherine i was only joking shall we finish these up yes indeed said mary they're all ordered and the more money the better n'est-ce pas betty but aren't we to know the person's name betty hesitated why no that is if you don't mind very much you see she sort of told me about herself because she had to so i feel as if i oughtn't to repeat it do you mind not one bit said katherine quickly 
and we needn't say anything at all about it except don't you think the girls here in the house will have to know that we're going to give away the money yes put in mary and we'll make them all give us extra orders we will save out a dollar for you to live on till march said betty oh no i shall borrow of you retorted mary and then they all laughed and felt better on st valentine's morning betty posted a registered valentine the verse read there are three of us and three of you though only one knows one so pray accept this little gift and go and have some fun but if the rhyme went haltingly and was not quite true either as betty pointed out since adelaide and alice had contributed to the fund and the whole house had bought absurd quantities of valentines because it was such a worthy object just as if i wasn't a worthy object sighed mary there was nothing the matter with the little gift which consisted of three crisp ten-dollar bills oh if they should feel hurt thought betty anxiously and dodged emily davis so successfully that until the day of the rally they did not meet that week was a tremendously exciting one to begin with on the twentieth the members of both the freshman basketball teams were announced rachel was a home on the regular team and katherine a guard on the sub so the chapin house fairly bubbled over with pride and pleasure in its double honors then on the morning of the twenty-second came the rally with its tumultuous display of class and college loyalty its songs written especially for the occasion its shrieks of triumph or derision which no intrusive reporter should make bold to interpret or describe as class yells since such masculine modes of expression are unknown at harding and its mock heroic debate on the vital issue did or did not george washington cut down that cherry tree every speaker was clever and amusing but emily davis easily scored the hit of the morning for whereas most freshmen are frightened and appear to disadvantage on such an occasion she was perfectly calm and self-possessed and made her points with exactly the same irresistible gaucherie and daring effusion of local color that had distinguished her performance at the class meeting besides she was a dark horse she did not belong to the leading set in her class nor to any other set for that matter and this fact together with the novel method of her election made her interesting to her essentially democratic audience so when the judges five popular members of the faculty announced their decision in favor of the negative otherwise the junior freshman side of the debate the nineteen blanks enthusiasm knew no bounds and led by the delighted bees they carried their speaker twice round the gym on their shoulders which is an honor likely to be remembered by its recipient for more reasons than one as the clans were scattering it suddenly occurred to betty that if emily did not guess anything it would please her to be congratulated on the excellence of her debate and if as was more likely she had guessed there was little to be gained by postponing the dreaded interview she chose a moment when emily was standing by herself in one corner of the gymnasium emily did not wait for her to begin her speech of congratulation oh miss wales she cried i've been to see you six times and you are never there it was lovely of you lovely but ought we to take it yes indeed it belongs to you honestly it does don't ask me how for it's too long a story just take my word for it well but began emily doubtfully at that moment some one called hurrah for nineteen blank betty caught up the cry and seizing emily's hand rushed her down the hall toward a group of freshmen make a line and march cried somebody else and presently a long line of nineteen blank girls 
was winding in noisy lockstep down the hall threading in and out between groups of upper-class girls and cheering and gaining recruits as it went hurrah for nineteen blank cried betty hoarsely take it for nineteen blank she whispered to emily as the line stopped with a jerk that knocked their heads together if you are sure thank you for nineteen blank emily whispered back here's to nineteen blank drink her down here's to nineteen blank drink her down as the chorus rose and swelled betty felt as she never had before what it meant to be a college girl at harding as betty was leaving the gymnasium she met eleanor face to face in the hallway wasn't it fun said betty shyly perhaps now that the debate was over eleanor would be ready to make friends again patronizing the genius do you mean asked eleanor slowly i hope she didn't buy that hideous salmon pink waist with your money oh eleanor how did you ever find out cried betty deeply distressed only a few of the chapin house girls knew anything about the disposition of the valentine money and not even the rest of the firm had been told who had received it so betty had thought the secret perfectly safe no one told me about your private affairs returned eleanor significantly i guessed and i congratulate you the genius will be a useful ally she will get all the freaks votes for you when eleanor watson come on if you're coming called a voice from the foot of the stairs and eleanor marched blithely off without finishing her sentence betty stared after her with unseeing eyes so that was it she was to blame because jean had told her of eleanor's predicament told her against her wish and now she was supposed to be trying to get votes votes for what i wonder how perfectly absurd said betty to the brick wall she was facing but the appropriate smile would not come for the absurdity had cost her a friend whom she had loved dearly in spite of her faults. End of chapter 13